0: welcome to satellite sisters sisters and misters and especially hello to
1: new listeners of satellite sisters we welcome you this is our friends and fiction special we were so happy to get to know these dynamic women over the last year and we interviewed all five of the fab five in 2021
0: lee and it was exciting yeah on today's show we have three authors mary alice monroe kristen harmel and christy woodson harvey okay three new books out But they have three totally different life stories. I am telling you, these are such fun interviews. I loved doing them. It was great talking to Mary Alice, Kristen, and Christy. But in the course of 2021, we have also spoken to Mary Kay Andrews and Patty Callahan Henry. So you can click the show notes there and check out where those shows are. But this was a super fun show to put together. And we welcome all of the Friends and Fiction listeners who might be just discovering Satellite Sisters for the first time. And we would like to thank our sponsors on this show. Uh, thanks to them. And thanks to you for listening to Satellite Sisters. Enjoy our Friends and Fiction special.
2: You're listening to Satellite Sisters.
0: What's a satellite sister? The person you call when the best thing in your life happens or the worst. The person that gets you up, gets you going and gets you through. And every once in a while changes your mind.
1: This podcast is part pep talk, part weekly check-in. Like grabbing coffee with a friend. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the Satellite Sisterhood.
0: You're listening to Satellite Sisters. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the second of our Summer Splash shows. I'm Leanne Dolan. I'm here with my sisters, Liz Dolan and Julie Dolan. And today... We welcome the women of Friends and Fiction. That's right. We're happy to talk to three of the Fab Five on today's podcast, Super Duper Southern writers, Mary Alice Monroe, Kristen Harmel, and Christy Woodson Harvey. All three have new books out this summer, and they are all wildly different. So we'll be speaking to our friends and fiction friends individually. And up first is Mary Alice Monroe. Boy, she has a hundred books out this summer. Uh, the I know, summer- Leanne.
1: It's amazing.
0: <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, we are going to talk to her about how did she write so many books during a pandemic? <laughs> uh, Mary Alice, welcome to Satellite Sisters. Oh, hi, girls. How are you? <laughs> Good. We are great. We're great. Yeah. Okay. So, what's happening? You had uh, your your summer, you know, bestseller, the summer of Lost and Found out. Now, The Islanders yes. is out. That's middle grade fiction. You yes. also contributed to a wonderful collection of stories in memory of your late friend and wonderful writer, Dorothea Benton Frank. That was a lovely effort. And you mm. launched Friends in Fiction. How <laughs> did you do all that during the pandemic, Mary Alice? Well, I have to, I have to say, I don't, I'm trying to figure out why I'm tired. But just right. listening
3: <laughs> to all that, I think I understand.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes, we can tell you, yes. I mean, that's a lot of creative output. No, I'm serious. How did you do all that? How well, did you honestly, that? Um, it was,
3: I think it's because of the pandemic. You don't realize how much time going out and touring takes until mm-hmm. it's gone. Right. And so we had a lot more time. Actually, the middle grade book I'd been writing for two years. So oh, okay. that was not just sudden. And it was just slated to come out. And when they asked us to write, asked me and Patty to write the short story for Dorothea, that was just an instinct, yes. There was just no even thinking about it. Of course we would. So it was actually my first short story. And I had, it was a learning curve, but I really loved the story I wrote. It's based on a true story from my cousin, my husband's cousin actually, who. Um, I had, I knew what Munchausen by proxy was, which is a bizarre mental health problem. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've
1: read about that. Yeah, where the movies. mother
3: tries yeah. to make the child sick from various reasons, and that happened to her, and oh, she wow. was adopted, and I was with her when she met her mother at 40. Oh, And wow. this was just such a powerful story, and it just blended so well with my setting. The requirement was to have a beach setting, mm-hmm. and we you know, we all could come up with any idea we wanted. So for me, this story of a mother and child reunion that happened on the beach just seems so perfect, because the analogy for the sea turtles, you know, we, we nurture them, we let them, we watch the nests. And when they emerge, they go out and, and disappear for forever. But the mother turtle in our human terms, abandons the nest. You know, she lays her eggs, she's a reptile, she leaves. And I thought, wow, the parallel for releasing of a child to adoption and the reptile who naturally lays her nest and eggs and leaves was so strong that I put it together. And it just turned out, I really loved it. So that book came out and they just decided it was coming out in April. Then my novel. (laughs) <laughs> which was set against the pandemic came out in May, and then my publisher decided, "Well, we're bringing out your middle grade book, The Islanders, in June." So it's been wow. it's been um, a roller coaster of riches, but and on the other hand, I'm
0: tired. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the rest of us during the pandemic just baked bread and watched uh, the the Queen's (laughs) Amp. So, I mean,
3: Well, there's that too. Like how many sourdough starters can we really use? And how much wine can we drink? Which I, there's so many great videos of people going out to their
0: recycling bins in the morning and (laughs) seeing all the wine bottles. Yes. Hysterical. Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> well, uh, congratulations, because that is a lot of productivity, but all very different yeah. projects. So yes. I, I really enjoyed the summer of Lost and Found. It's, you know, classic Mary Alice Monroe's, so, you know, set mm. on the beach. There's a conservation theme running through it. It's a family saga, multi-generational, mm. a lot of complications in all the stories. But honestly, Mary Alice, I was really surprised that you incorporated a corona, coronavirus into the story. I, I yeah, thought that it, was super brave because you must have been writing in real time.
3: Yeah, I did, and I have to say it was both brave and naive. Okay. <laughs> because, oh, really? Naive in what it, way? You know, honestly, uh, it seemed like a good idea at the time. I was—I—I I, what I do when I tell a story is I observe nature or wildlife, and then I pull home altogether the themes and the ideas and characterizations and I create a story. So I thought, well, here we are in an epic situation. I mean, we will look back on 2021 in the future and say, you know, this is, where were you? This is like, where were you when JFK was shot or where were you when the Twin Towers fell? It'll be like that and it'll spark great conversations. So I thought, fine, I'm going to study the human species in great detail this time. What I didn't count on was how my perspective of what to say in the novel, what were the major points would change as I lived through it in real time. Hmm. My ideas changed as we lived you know, thinking, okay, by June, it'll be over. Well, it wasn't over in June. And Mm -hmm. by September, oh my gosh, we're getting something called variants. And it was getting long and people were dying. And those were the losses. But I also discovered by paying really close attention to what was going on in my life, but also in the lives of my children and people I loved, there were a lot of great new changes and one of which was I was up in the mountain house and I invited my sister from Chicago, who is a psychotherapist, who's closed down her practice. And I said, don't stay in your condo. Come to the mountains. And she did. And then my sister in L.A., who was locked up in her condo, I said, don't stay there. Come here. And my 30-year-old niece had no job. So I said, you can stay with us, too. Wow. So we all, there's we're a like, book. Together- there, There's yeah. a, oh, <laughs> that's oh, a book or a podcast. I think podcast. <laughs> that's the next one that's coming out. And we all, but it was so interesting to see how we never, it's like all of you sisters, we're all living together for the summer. And, wow. You know, it's just when can you do that, except in this very weird Camelot moment of um, the pandemic, which was very positive. And my daughters were saying how they, you know, are so tired of teaching or becoming substitute teachers through the laptops all day that they turned off all electronics at night and they played board games and they went for walks and they actually stayed in my beach house and, and had the best summer ever. So there were some really good moments too.
1: Okay. You know, Mary, I think if, if all the Dolan sisters were together for the summer. <laughs> it would be important that one of us be a psychotherapist. Yeah. I, think that would, I think that's the key to your operation.
3: Well, you know what happens when you're all together with your sisters? You go back to the nursery, uh, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. you know, and you start having to work out some of the issues that may have formed over the years of silence or, you know, anger, subtle angers. They're all worked out because you're forced to. When you live together. And that's a really wonderful observation, you know, being close together. For a long period of time, you can't hide your feelings.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, we
0: know from talking to you on Friends in Fiction for a couple of episodes this year, your wonderful online book discussion group, that you are from a big family as well. So you get yes. the dynamics that you could not see people for years. And then all of a sudden, they're in your beach yes. house and you've got to work out anger. Liz, I don't think we should ever do that, frankly. <laughs> Or at least try for a weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't have to be a
3: week, a uh, 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 summer. Although okay. it's interesting, it, it actually went longer. We had such a good time; they just wouldn't leave. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Leon, I think we'd have to have a plot development like you have in the Sweeney sisters, where a brand new sister shows up. I think yeah, that okay. would, oh, and yeah. she would need to be a psychotherapist. Yeah. So, with so a some, beach house. Because someone who did not, not live through our childhood with us, but has an interest <laughs> in helping us sort all that stuff out. I think there's the, there's the perfect twist.
3: And here's the key, though, at the very end of that time. You have to have a novel and you have to also (laughs) figure out what it is you learned that you want to
0: share with everybody. Okay, That was the hardest part. Yeah. Yeah. Well, your books, your books, almost all your books are family sagas. Is that fair to say? Like what? what... I think so.
3: Um, The women's lives. A lot of them are family sagas. The one I'm beginning now is a family saga, but it's also sometimes it's just one woman's life. I always am intrigued by, um, you know, the various relationships in women's lives, in particular, friends. I think women's friends are so powerful. And yet they're, when I write a novel, I try to be very accurate and honest. And there are friendships like a book club, for example, where there are fights and disagreements. This group that I wrote about in this novel, Lost and Found, they were friends and they're all together. But there were COVID couples and there was jealousy and there's right. annoyances. And brother, sister, you know, annoyances and mothers freaking out. Yeah. And I think that's the reality. That's what makes it um, both amusing and poignant, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I know I'm going to ask you the question we get asked all the time do you use your own family members in your books do you base any characters on siblings or do you have the same policy I have Not Just really I mean book. the only
3: one that I did is a book I called The Four Seasons and it's about a group of sisters in the Midwest and it was the only book that I drew on my experiences and I was really careful not to name them or not to make them anybody but clearly there were subtle let's put it this way my brother called me up and said okay now i know who Marguerite is and i know who ruth is and he he started naming everybody and i just laughed and remained silent yeah. <laughs> it's fiction it's fiction it's yeah. fiction but for most part i don't like to because in my books uh um the character, and for all books, the character has a job to do. Right. And if you try to make it too close to anyone real, you fail, which is why I think it'd be really hard to write a novel based on an actual person, because you have to delicately dance that line of, of reality versus fiction.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm always surprised at historical fiction writers. Like when they get it right, when they use real people, I just think that's the hardest thing to do. I agree with you. I would it's think so, It's so much too. easier to, to make stuff up. It's, that's the fun part. You know. Yeah, and they get
3: to, you know, they, they're personifications of, of what you, of goals that you have for the story, too. And so when I write like the, the Beach House series, for example, these characters now I've been writing for 20 years yeah. it's sort of amazing to think about but they've grown up so I have to be honest and say when I write Carol, I know her so well I can she can say anything and I know I'm her in my mind when I say her words because I've been living her for 20 years and all the characters in that that series have become like family and I don't think I'll stop that series. I'm gonna I'm not going to write another beach house for a little while. But whenever I have something I want to say about my beach or Charleston, I go back to this family. And you know, I always like it when I love a series. It's sort of familiar and reassuring. It's like inviting old friends back. And I've been getting a lot of that with the Summer of Lost and Found because People are, I think, feeling unsure during the pandemic and coming out of it, that it's it's like binge watching. You know, people right. love that familiarity, that consistency.
0: The Beach House that you referenced, that was your first, you know, New York Times bestseller. And yeah. uh, the movie is on Hallmark is that just so fun? Cause it's on all the time. And I mean, (laughs) and every time I'm going to have to take that in. Oh my gosh, Liz with Andy McDowell. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. I know. Well, I have to
3: say that was the fun, the most fun story. I don't know if you ever heard how that happened, No. but when I, when I wrote the book, the beach house 20 years ago, that was a really a big decision on my career where I said, I really was going to write books set against endangered species to try and make my audience aware. Now I wasn't teaching, just aware of issues. And um, when I wrote that book, Andy McDowell was in my head. I usually put pictures up as Kara. So okay. fast forward 10, 12 years, and I'm oh. in an airport going from Atlanta to Charleston. And there's the hair. I recognized her curly hair, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, it's Andy McDowell!" And we, I sat kitty corner from her in a little puddle jumper, and I didn't say anything. I was determined not to bother her. It was (laughs) eleven o'clock at night. I wasn't going to be that author. And she came to stand next to me while we waited for our luggage. And I thought, okay, (laughs) thank you, God.
4: (laughs) This is (laughs) great.
3: So so I said, "Hi, it's me." I just want to tell you that you were an inspiration for my novel, and I just want to thank you. And she was so sweet as she is, and said, "Oh, well, what was the name of that book?" And I said, "The Beach House." And she wrote it down. And then my luggage came and I said, thank you. And I walked away. And as I was walking out, I saw this bookstore in the airport had a huge poster of my books and all my backlist in there. And I'm like,
0: yes, thank you. Oh, my God.
3: <laughs> and sure enough, she walked by and she saw the book and she checked it and she bought it. And then she called me up a couple of weeks later and said, I want to make a movie of this book.
0: That oh, really my
1: deep. goodness.
0: That is so you know, serendipity, right? Oh, my gosh. That's
3: fantastic. That's the
0: greatest <laughs> story I've ever heard about
3: a book-to-film adaptation. <laughs> you know? And then it became a Hall of Fame. And I grew up, you probably did too, watching the Hallmark Hall of Fame. Yes. Mm-hmm. They were always big deals in our house. And Sarah Plain and Tall was probably my favorite. And I remember when, um, when I watched the film, I was being inducted into the it was the South Carolina Hall of Fame that very night. I mean, it was like the greatest day of my career. And I was out in Beaufort, South Carolina, where the meeting was. And we all had to duck out after I got my award because my movie was premiering. So we went to Pat Conroy's house and I'm sitting in Pat's big old orange, comfy Barker lounger watching the huge TV. And under the TV while I watch my movie is his crystal award for his Hallmark. Hall of Fame. The water is wide. And that was a moment, I tell you, that I'll never forget.
0: Wow. wow. I am so glad you shared this story. <laughs> that, I mean, the I watch it full movie. circle. Yeah. I, I watch yeah. it like every week. It's on every week. <laughs> I just like to check in with it. It's just what's up. <laughs> I don't even know. I'll have tell Andy. Thing. And so now that I have that backstory, it's fantastic. Oh, gosh, that's a great story. That's a wonderful story. Well, I can tell you enjoyed the movie then you enjoyed. (laughs) enjoyed I did. I enjoyed watching making it. It's, It's
3: just when you see your words come alive. There's nothing quite like it.
0: Yeah. I did not realize until I was prepping for this interview that you wrote the screenplay as well, which is cool. This
3: well, I, they well. say I did. I, to be totally honest with you, I got the approval and I okay. always was
0: <laughs> annoyed that credit. why would you change the words? I said it perfectly the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Just take the credit. Just take the credit. Marielle. Take, take the credit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's rough out here in Hollywood. Take it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm grateful No, Truly. I'm grateful. <laughs> Okay, Mary Mary Alice, before it's too late,
1: I have to ask you about your conservation work, particularly in the area of sea turtles, because you don't know this about me, this is Liz, but the sea turtle is my spirit animal. I talk Uh about sea turtles all the time, and on the Satellite Uh Sisters Facebook group, I've often been running what I call Operation Sea Turtle, which is more Uh of my own personal fitness program, I'm not saving any sea turtles, but... (laughs) I just, I enjoy the sea turtle. And so, mm-hmm. reading all about all the work you have done as a state certified volunteer with the island turtle team, I just want to mm-hmm. thank you on behalf of other sea turtle uh, lovers. Well, I, that means a lot. It's been i I
3: didn't know when I became involved with sea turtles as a volunteer, it'd become a lifelong career move as well as a, I still am on the turtle team. I'm on the board for the, le- I work with leatherbacks in Costa Rica in the winter. I'm on the board there. And I rehabilitate turtles with the um, South Carolina Aquarium. It's just a, a species. i work with a lot of different species, but the sea turtles are the ones that I'll be with. A lot. They're ancient mariners. They're yeah. lone swimmers. There's something so remarkable about this animal that is, follows its instincts. So maybe that says a lot about you, Liz.
1: Okay, thank you. The Lone Swimmer. Okay. Ancient Mariner. Liz. Ancient Mariner, following my instincts. Well it's, <laughs> well, it's still funny. Again, something else you won't know about me, but our listeners will know. I've already announced on Satellite Sisters that when I was thinking about what's my first vacation, real vacation I'm going to take once the pandemic is well and truly over, I Googled places to see sea turtles. And the first three places I had been to all of them, and number four was Costa Rica, So that's my next vacation is going to Costa Rica to see the oh
3: well you have to go then in December January because that's when they okay leatherbacks January
1: January is our target time okay oh perfect (laughs) well you go to
3: Costa Rica you go to yeah you have to go to um to see the leatherbacks and they're they're ninety five percent extinct so they're not many but the Atlantic leatherbacks in Florida are doing quite well
1: okay. All right, this they're nesting to... right now, <laughs> so hurry up. <laughs> <Get
3: done>. Okay,
0: <laughs> this is travel information. This is Hollywood. I mean, we have really also. Covered...
3: I, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna say, if for little children who are the stewards of tomorrow, um, there are sea turtles in The Islanders. That they're uh, definitely in that book. I, I really feel like kids really get it, and when you say to kids, "Hey, the, the ocean is filled with plastic," they don't get sorrowful and bemoan. they're like well let's clean it up <laughs> let's go mm-hmm. do it and they have such energy and such positive spirit that that's why i wrote for them but there are two sea turtles in that book so be sure to read it okay the
0: Islanders is your first middle grade fiction uh, i read um you know is that why you wanted to do it was it a conservation message or did it was that a particular audience that you you feel a kinship to
3: both actually i i had written two picture books um when i have a lot of information about a species i try to do a picture book for kids because I'll, i get dismayed when i see information that's actually wrong for children because they believe the printed word is true and I was teaching in schools and I saw that enthusiasm I just talked about with the second graders third graders fourth graders a little bit older so I wanted to write a chapter book and I was asked to write a a series for a new imprint and I said absolutely a little nerve a little naive there too and nerve-wracking because writing for children is a very different animal yeah and I did and I'm really grateful for the response I'm getting. I think it's been very powerful. The curriculums are adapting the book all across the country. for their Oh, my schools. gosh.
0: That's wonderful. Congratulations. It's really pretty exciting.
3: Thank you. Oh, that's and, great. you know, the whole point for that book was to show kids that you unplug, turn off the electronics. Yeah. And it's okay to be bored at first, but then all of a sudden something magic happens. They start to explore and they look around and their imagination takes what? takes off. And when that happens, they, they become kids, real kids, and they play. And I really encourage for the mental health of all of us, but especially for kids to get them outdoors, unplugged at least one day a week, you know, to, just to say you're not going to turn on electronics. And these kids are on an island where there are no, it's a true place. It's Deweese Island, no cars, no stores, only accessible by boat. And for these kids, no Wi-Fi. And they think it's going to be the worst summer ever. But these kids meet each other and they're unlikely friends. You have an Af- you have an African-American boy from a wealthy family in Atlanta. And you have a girl from, lo- from local island who's kind of a know-it-all in nature. And then you have an army brat kid from New Jersey whose father was injured and he's stuck to live with his grandmother, which he thinks is, oh, gosh. And it's it turns out they're good friends and it turns out they explore and it's the best summer ever. So I I hope people will read it with their kids. And I always say this too: a lot of people who are going to learn about an animal or something they don't know, pick up a middle grade book or a, a young adult because the writing is cleaner and simpler and you can learn the lessons much more than if you were trying to read it through an adult novel. And certainly as a writer, I had to approach it that way.
0: Well, it sounds like a great vacation book. If people are off in August. It is. As we, this will be on our summer splash show just to, to read in August. Is there an audio book of this too? That also sounds. It like is.
3: I, of, I so. used to read my audio books, but I thought it needed a boy's voice and it needed a, a kid-sounding voice, so I stepped aside, and it turned
0: out really well.
3: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was no, a good decision.
0: I'm, I'm only relieved, because now I know you can't literally do it all. I mean, <laughs> you're saving species, you're writing screenplays, you're hunting down movie stars. I'm just relieved you don't do your own And I'm recording.
3: gaining weight. I've gained the COVID-15, so obviously I've got
0: to work on that, <laughs> Okay, too. great. I'm glad to hear it. Congratulations. Now, Mary-El, thank you so much for being on set Sisters, what a delightful conversation! We, I mean, she's written a lot of books. She has a lot going on, and we didn't even get a chance to talk about friends and fiction. But I know that our satellite sister audience is familiar with the great work you're doing there. So, thank you so much for being on, and have a great summer. Well, thank you, and I always have such a good time with you. Thank you. Thanks, Mary Alice. Bye. Liz, summer is coming up, and you know what that means? It means you're grilling. You're grilling I'm and chilling sure. there yes. with your with your butcher box. What what do you got going on the grill this summer? Well, you know, here's
1: the thing. Because I'm going to be up in, in Bend for a part of the summer, yeah. I'm having my box sent there, Leon. That's I mean, great. Go on vacation with your butcher box. Is what uh, what uh, what I'm recommending? Yeah. Either way, you're just going to buy <laughs> meat and fish and stuff when you get there. Why do that? Anyway, I love their steaks. I love their scallops. The scallops are really good,
0: and the chicken thighs, all good. I'm ready. That's right. ButcherBox gives you peace of mind and easy-to-find high-quality meat and seafood you can trust. It's 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork that's raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood – Sign up today at butcherbox.com/slash sisters and use code SISTERS to choose your free-for-year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. Thanks, ButcherBox. Julian Leon here, and we are so excited to welcome Kristen Harmel to Satellite Sisters. You know her as a New York Times bestselling author. She wrote the book of lost names, bestseller, the winemaker's wife, bestseller. Her new book is the Forest of Vanishing Stars. It is really special. It is also a bestseller, but Kristen has a really fantastic backstory. So much writing from sports writing to People Magazine to Women's Day to American Baby. I can't wait to talk to her. Kristen, welcome to Satellite Sisters.
4: Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here.
0: Oh, it's really a
2: pleasure. Julie, we loved Kristen's new book, didn't we? Oh, well, first of all, the title is just amazing and yes this is an absolutely captivating book i really enjoyed it
0: and we're going to talk more about it the the force of vanishing stars but i wanted to start with your your broad writing career because i feel like that must all add up to these great historical fiction novels that you write but um i was surprised to read that you started your career as a sports writer what drew (laughs) what drew you to that
4: Yeah, I I did. And actually, um, what's even funnier about that is I was only 16 when I started. Oh my um, gosh. Oh, wow. It's nuts. So, I mean, that's what I thought I wanted to do. So, I've always known I wanted to write novels. Okay. Um, But, you know, when I was a teenager, I thought, well, maybe that's not a very practical career goal right out of the gate. So, I'd like to start off being a journalist, you know, because I like to write, I like to talk to people, I like to ask people questions. And those seemed like things that a, a journalist would do too. Um, so I decided when I was like 15 or 16, OK, that's how I'm going to start. Um, and then I thought, well, what's holding me back? I'll just start now. So I bought books about um, how to write for magazines, and they said, you know, write a query letter to a magazine and tell them what your article idea is. So I did that for local magazines, cleverly omitting my age. Not lying, just not, not <laughs> yeah. specifically mentioning you know, that I Kristen, was 16. A lot, a lot of us cleverly <laughs> omit our age. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm 42 now, so I'm, I'm at that point where I'm starting to do it on the other side of things. So... <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, so, um, I my first story that I ever pitched was about the St. Louis Cardinals, and I got to go talk to a bunch of Major League Baseball players. And I subsequently got um, assignments from the same local sports publication to write about uh, the local NFL team, the local NHL team, and then some Major League Baseball teams that were in my hometown for spring training. And it was months before the editor actually met me face to face. Oh my gosh! His jaw just dropped, and he said, "How old are you?" And I said. Oh. 16? Is that a problem?
0: (laughs) You know what? I I can't, because I'm thinking back, I started my career in sports media too. That's why this stuck out to me. Oh, I had
4: no idea. Yes. So,
0: and still love sports. So I was a writer and producer and um, and so I was like 22 or 23 and that's when women were first allowed into the locker rooms. But that is very intimidating and I have to say, the players enjoyed intimidating. So were you in locker rooms when you were 16, 17? I was. Isn't
4: that the weirdest thing? Oh, my and at the time, I just thought, well, this is normal. And anyone treating me like it's not normal is just being sexist. But like, right. obviously, that wasn't it. I, you <laughs> know, I was 16. And I looked like I was 12 because I'm only five oh. feet tall. And like, oh my I, I mean, it's, yeah, it, it's ridiculous when I look back. But yes, I was in locker rooms interviewing, you know, professional athletes like I was a grown up. <laughs> okay,
0: that's that's the screenplay I want to write I know. That's I mean, a movie.
4: Right there. Oh,
0: my God. But make yourself 18 so it's slightly less creepy but I, I can remember Exactly. I, I remember being in the Dodgers locker room and I wasn't yeah. a sports journalist I worked for a sporting goods company so we were that oh. we I did marketing stuff more so when I first walked into the locker room and they were like a hundred percent naked oh and I was gosh. like I don't I don't I'm not a, I don't need to do this I don't exactly. and they I don't no. want to name names Mike Piazza but I mean I just <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I did just, where do I look? Where am I, oh looking? My gosh. Am I looking? up?" So I that leave, really caught my eye.
4: You yeah. and I need to trade some stories someday. Cause <laughs> I, I, I bet we both have some that is yeah, crazy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, um, but then you moved to magazines and you wrote for people magazine for a long time. And I have a couple other friends that wrote for people. Was that a great training ground? I mean, cause people covers everything.
4: It was wonderful. Um, You know, it was nice to do a mix of that plus longer features for other magazines because, you know people opens a lot of doors, but the articles wind up being very short. So, um, so I would say that at people, I kind of honed my interview and research skills Mm. and it was through work at other magazines, um, that I kind of maybe developed my writing a little bit more. Although I will say that, uh, people was fantastic for learning how to be gracefully edited. You know what I mean? Like, because you'd you'd turn in, you know, a thousand words and they'd be like, Oh yeah, we've decided we're actually going to run this at a hundred. Hundred and seventy-five words with a oh, large gosh. picture. You're like, okay. So.
2: It pays the same.
4: <laughs> that's why we like People Magazine. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. Exactly. No, it was. It was a great experience, and um, there were so many. You know, I primarily I did a lot of celebrity stuff there, but I would say my primary job in the years that I worked there was to do the Heroes Among Us stories. Oh yeah, stories of real people doing incredible extraordinary things. And um, I think there's a, I, I didn't, I don't think I've realized it until recently, but I think there's a direct through line from that, to the career that I'm working in now. I mean, that's really at the heart of my books. Like, it, you know, ordinary people rising up and doing extraordinary things. And that's what I've been writing since 2000 for people.
0: Okay. Well, you just answered my
4: next question. Cause I was
0: going <laughs> to say, how ha- has the experience of, of writing at people and other magazines, how has it informed your work? But that's it. You're sort of on the lookout for these ordinary people stories, huh?
4: I, I suppose, but you know, I don't think I realized until a couple of years ago that I was doing that. I don't think I, you know, because I, started my novel writing career writing um, romantic comedies, which, Mm -hmm. you know, now I primarily write historical fiction. So it's very different. Mm -hmm. And I think that with those romantic comedies kind of thrown in there in the middle, um, I I had never really connected the dots that, you know, that that, that people experience maybe was a portion of what led me to where I am today.
0: Well, probably all your writing just keeps building to where you yes. are With, yes, you know, from 16 on. And now you're like, <laughs> you have two books out this summer. The Book of Lost Names is out in paperback. That was an instant New York Times bestseller. This beautiful book, The The Forest of Vanishing Stars. Both are World War II books. They're Holocaust related why do you, and your last, I think, three books have all, three or four, right, have all been World War II related. Why do you continue to be fascinated by that piece of history?
4: That is such a great question. Um, you know, and I think that part of it is that there are so many stories that haven't been told yet. And not just stories that haven't been told, but stories that are very relevant to the world today mm-hmm. um, and stories that still hold lessons for us. Um, you know it, it's it's it, it is strange to me in I do a lot of reading about World War II as well, and um it, it doesn 't often feel like i 'm reading about something that happened eighty years ago I, I mean these stories feel much more um, modern and immediate than that, and I think a lot of the stories that still have to be told have to do with the role that women played mm-hmm. um, and, and yeah. i like I like that we 're getting a chance to look at this world war that we thought we all knew um, from a slightly different angle with slightly different heroes or heroines as the case may be.
0: Is is that, I mean, it seems like readers can't get enough of world war two. I -hmm. mean, I, I thought, well, that trend will die out. I mean, because it's almost all the historical, it's, there's a lot of world war two historical fiction, but maybe that's it. Maybe it's just that this is finally a chance to hear the women's side of the war. And that's so appealing to, you know, primarily female readers. What do you hear from your readers?
4: You know, that is a big part of it. Um, I I think people also like to learn something um, without feeling like they're sitting down for a history class. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like if, if you can sort of enjoy the experience of the novel, become emotionally engaged and then walk away with a little bit of a lesson at the end, maybe like a, a history lesson plus a life lesson, then like, Hey, bonus. See, it's like three for the price of one. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> um, but you know, the other thing I, I, I think about world war two um, is that it, I, I think that there's something really compelling about setting a story within a framework where you already know sort of the heroes and the villains, you know, the good guys and the bad guys. And, and in that way, it's kind of like a superhero story, right? Like when you, when you watch a big superhero film, like, you know who you're supposed to be rooting for, but it's what the storyteller does, I think in all of that gray area in between um, that, ha- you know, I-, I just think you have the opportunity to kind of make things really interesting on, on that big stage. So, um, oh, I mean, that's I like that framework. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: Like yeah. a superhero movie. I like it. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, Kristen in the forest of vanishing stars, what I found so enchanting was were the vivid descriptions of how the characters learned to live in the forest? I mean, I wrote this kind of as a joke question: Did you attend an outward bound course because <laughs> the level of detail is you know there is so vivid? that you must know, you must know a lot about living in the forest. Is that true?
4: (laughs) Well, you know, we're, we're doing this podcast from my, my hut in the forest right now. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um,
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, now that I know you were a 16 year old, (laughs) I think it's quite possible. You could have a hut in the forest. Exactly.
4: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, you know, it's a great question. And I, um, I will say that the research for this book was really interesting, um, and I was really lucky to have a couple of sources, um, human sources, like actual people who helped me a lot. So you know, I did a ton of reading about how specifically Jewish refugees survived in the forest during World War II, which is what this book um, kind of centers Mm -hmm. around, the the true story of Jewish refugees surviving in the forest. But in addition to that, um, I got to talk to um, a man named Aaron Bielski, who is 94 four now. And he's the youngest of the Bielski brothers who were the most famous and well-known group of Jewish refugees who hid in the forests of Poland. So he actually did survive the war this way, spent years in the forest, living off the land as part of a society that he and his brothers built. I mean, the the real story is fascinating. I mean, it's almost unbelievable. Um, But um, in addition to that, I was able to work with a uh, a Belarusian forest guide who knows okay. the forest I was writing about inside and out. Um, he has a PhD. He leads um, he leads expeditions into the forest, and I probably sent him dozens of questions each week. Um, and, and I, I paid him for his time. I would have felt horrible otherwise, but he was like, basically my research source for everything. If I needed to know what mushrooms grew in this area of the forest right. mid April, he was my guy. I mean, he would, it was, it was incredible. Um, so yeah, but all, all of that said, um, I, I would not, uh, risk your life going into the forest with me because <laughs> it probably wouldn't end well. <laughs>
2: And if you're not grounding up leaves at home and berries or any of that, okay, okay.
0: How did you connect with, how did you connect with the the brother, the 94-year-old? How did that happen?
4: Oh, gosh, I don't remember how I wound up finding him. Um, you know, I think I had heard that he lived in the United States and it actually turned out that he, um, lives just a couple of hours away from me, um, in Florida, which is crazy, right? Like that's crazy. It's weird. It's, it's one of these many things that made me feel like, okay, this was obviously the book I was meant to write. Um, but, um, you know, I think I found him through, he had written a memoir, Um, years ago. And I think I found him through the person who had co-authored that with him. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, it was just an incredible opportunity to get to talk to him. And it, I mean, again, bringing up superheroes, but it truly felt like speaking to a superhero. They, they, um, the group that he was a part of, that he and his brothers started um, not only survived themselves, but one of his jobs was to go into the Jewish ghettos and to solicit people to bring people out to say, "If you stay here, you won't survive. Come with us." So, I mean, he—they wow. uh, they saved hundreds of lives. It's—it's it's, oh, it's staggering. How, it was how courageous, you know? totally. Yeah, yeah.
0: That, well, again, when I started the book, Julie, I'm sure you felt the same. I had no idea. Like I this wasn't
2: tale. I had no. Never, it was,
0: yeah so as you said learning but multi-dimensional great character development uh, congratulations you. it's just a wonderful book thank you um, so much what are you working on next because i know you over at friends and fiction you all publish about 22 books a year as far <laughs> as i can tell i mean there's kids <laughs> books and christmas books and oh my gosh this is the busiest group of writers ever so I, is, yes. what's the next one about
4: um, I, you know, that is a great question. Okay. I know I, I'm, I'm writing it now. It'll be out next summer. I think it's scheduled okay. to be out next summer. Um, I I'm just, I, I'm at that very beginning part of it All now. Right. Where I'm just trying to connect the dots, but it's World War II France, because as you noted, I cannot seem to stop writing about World War II. Um, But it's a return to World War II France, which several of my other novels have uh, been set in and around Paris during World War II. So um, this one is about motherhood and a lost daughter during the war. Okay. Oh,
0: okay. We're already in. Julie and I are already <laughs> well,
4: oh, signed up. Well, speaking
2: of motherhood, you wrote a piece from that Ma- Parade magazine about being home over the last year with your four-year-old and yeah. about what you lost, but also about what you gained. And I think a lot of working moms can relate. What was a what was the, one of the positive parts about being home with a with a with a four-year-old uh while you were trying to work? And are you looking forward to the fall?
4: <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm looking forward to having a lot more available time in the fall. Um, yeah. Th- thank you for the question. Um, one of the neat things about friends and fiction is, uh, we do write a weekly column, um, for parade uh, parade.com. We take turns doing that. And, um, that was probably the most personal essay I've ever written. I have a really hard time getting personal about myself. It's, it's really strange, but, um, it was uh, it was a challenging year. Noah is five now. Um, mm-hmm. He'll be starting kindergarten in the fall, um, and and I have a lot of uh, doubts that you know I, I don't know if I did the right thing. We kept him home this year, which was a challenge for us and a challenge for him. And I know there were things um, that he probably missed out on. Um, you know, and, and we kept him home because of the pandemic, and it just never quite felt right to us. But um, y- y- you asked what what, what was, was one good yeah positive. what one Yeah. Uh, And, and you know, um, I will say two things. One, um, I get to spend all of this time with him that I wouldn't have otherwise had, which sometimes mm-hmm. felt um, difficult because it took me away from work I needed to be doing. But what a gift. I mean, what a gift to get yeah. this whole extra year with my sweet, wonderful little child as he's developing. And then number two, um, I get to teach him to read. And if, if oh. I, it had not been for this year, he would have learned that in a classroom. You know, I would have had a, a second row seat to it. I would have seen him coming home with all of that new discovery lighting up his eyes, but I got to sit there at our kitchen table and see as the dots connected in his head. And I mean, he can read short chapter books now and, and wow. that happened, what? that happened over the course of this year though. And, and just to be able to be a part of that, um, I think it's something I'll I'll never forget, and and you know it, there were there were beautiful things that came out of this tough time. Right, that's good. No, that's really boy. magical to see. Julie, Julie tried
0: down. to teach her grandson to read. No, no luck, right, Julie? <laughs>
2: oh, no, that, all right, that is harsh and cruel, sister. Okay. <laughs> I I did take over kindergarten for my, uh, for my kindergarten grandson and he did just fine in the reading. Okay, good. You were you said it was hard though. (laughs) Yes, it was very hard. It It was very hard. I felt an enormous sense of responsibility. (laughs) Like if he didn't know how to read, it was on my watch, Kristen.
4: You know, Julie, I felt like that too. I, 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 um, I think that was a big part of what I really struggled with this year was just that thought of. Am I doing it right? Am I giving him mm-hmm. what he needs? Um, and and you know, I I don't know, but at least he can read. <laughs> so. I, I might have screwed him up 10 other ways, but
0: at least he could read. <laughs> well, seriously, speaking superheroes, all those parents at home with the pandemic doing the schooling Absolutely. and the working and all those kids that slogged through. So I'm yeah. I'm excited for him to start kindergarten. I'm excited for you. It's a, oh, That'll be a great true. first day of school picture. So oh, uh, yes. one that you'll cherish forever. Yes. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been such a pleasure. Really fun to learn about your background. And we love everything you're doing over at Friends and Fiction. And we'll keep tuning in. Thanks for being here.
4: Thank you so much for having me. Hey, it's
0: Liz and Leanne here. And we want to thank Pros for supporting this episode of Satellite Sisters. Now, you know, Liz, I've been out and about with my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical. Mm -hmm. The book is getting rave reviews. I'm very happy. But you know what else is getting rave reviews? sisters. So you get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash sisters. And prose is spelled P-R-O-S-E, Pros.com slash sisters. Thanks, prose. It is a pleasure to welcome to Satellite Sisters the third of the Fab Five that we're interviewing today from Friends in Fiction, Christy Woodson Harvey. Her latest book, Under a Southern Sky, is a New York Times bestseller. She writes wonderful contemporary fiction that has a real sense of place. It's both, you know, literally and literarily, you are right there in her book, Spending Summer in the Carolinas. Uh, and we are so happy to welcome Christy to Satellite Sisters. Hi, Christy. Hi, Christy. Oh.
5: Thank you. Thank you all so much for having me today I'm so excited to be here
2: oh this is great well Christy we want to start first with the book and then we're going to get to some other personal questions in this book under a southern sky and also in my sister Lian's book in the Sweeney sisters yeah you use a scientific development in your case and for under the southern sky frozen embryos and Leon has a DNA discovery in her book that set in motion the characters and how they have to respond to it. Why did you choose that as a storyline? Mm, that is
5: such a good question. And um, gosh, I love all these scientific developments. It's giving us really great things to write about, right, Leanne? Right. That's, that's true. <laughs> yeah. New stories. Yeah. New families. Um, yeah. New
2: situations, I guess. Yeah, exactly.
5: Um, and so actually um, the idea came to me, uh, through a friend, which is always really fun. And it was actually five or six years ago, we were at a party and, um, she and her husband were making a really difficult decision about you know what they were going to do with their leftover frozen embryos. And it wasn't something that they had thought about before they started doing IVF. And so they were just, you know, having a hard time. And, um, she was just talking to me about it and she said, you know, you should write a book about this because a lot of people are going to be going through this. Mm. And, um, right away I knew that I would. I thought, yes, that is definitely something that I want to write a book about. But, you know, it's a pretty broad topic. I mean, that's not really a story idea necessarily. Um, And so, you know, I played around with it for a couple of years. I had other projects in the works and um, then got contracted for the Peachtree Bluff series kind of by surprise. So it was something I had had in my back pocket for a few years. And then I knew it was time. I knew I wanted to write about it and I knew it was time. And um I knew that someone needed to have passed away for this to be sort of high stakes enough right. to write a story about it. Okay. Um and um so that was a part of it and then um strangely enough I had another really good friend who I had been talking to about this story and about this idea I had about you know this wife that had passed away and you know this husband left to make this really difficult decision. And she called me and said, well, if you were waiting for a sign, I have your sign. And I was like, oh, what? And she was in PA school. She had just delivered her first baby, and it was um – the father you know, had, had had the baby with frozen embryos via a surrogate because his wife had died. And I was like, wow. okay, it's time to write the story. Oh, wow. So it was, very, it, was, it was very cool that we had just been talking about that. And then that happened. And I thought, okay, well, this is realistic then. So let's <laughs> right. go.
2: Right. <Yeah>. Oh, that gives <laughs> me heated. chills. I know. But it, it is such a modern dilemma. And, uh, and I think how you treated it in the book was just beautiful. So oh, thank you. Uh, You know, a big part of your books is the sense of place in the South. And I know after I read read your books, I just really want to move to a beach town uh, and live (laughs) in one of those fabulous houses that you that you (laughs) describe. Uh, how do you create that in your work? You know, how do you create? I mean, do you find do other readers say, hey, can can I move to North Carolina, you know, and live in that house or whatever? You
5: know? Well, I think the best example is that I influenced myself. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. okay, that's true.
5: <laughs> I was writing the Peachtree Bluff series and I based it off of Beaufort, North Carolina, which is this town on the coast. And we had a house there and we'd spent a couple years redoing it and we just loved it. And um I remember one day like looking up at my husband and being like, wait, why don't we live here? I mean, these people live here in Peachtree Bluff. And he's like, yeah, why don't we? And so we, we hatched this plan that we were going to move for a year because our son was in preschool and we were like, we can figure this out for a year. And then we never left.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's a good story. I didn't know that. Yes.
2: Yeah, uh, oh, yeah. All right. So you have made my dream come true. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> um,
5: but but no. I mean I do think um, in some ways that's kind of the dream, and 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 I, and it really. I mean in a very practical way, I do think it's helped my writing. I mean I love being able to you know see the water and the wild horses and all these things that I sort of write about on a daily basis. I think to live in them, it really does influence your writing and it it really does help inspire those stories. So I guess the short answer would be that, um, I mean, I think just living here and realizing how very, very different, I mean, you can drive a mile away or be on a boat a mile away from somewhere where you normally are and have a totally different setting for a story. So that's been a really cool thing too, to be able to kind of, you know, bounce around and Um, to different places and get a whole new setting.
2: Do you think Mm. you'll always stay with the South as a setting or can we expect a book in Paris sometime (laughs) soon?
5: (laughs) Oh, that would be great. Uh, Can we go to Paris again yet? (laughs) I like that idea. Um, So I don't know. I mean, I definitely can see myself writing about places that were not the South, but I would for sure write about them from an outsider perspective. I think that's, kind of important. I I know, for example, like I have this really good friend that lives in the Midwest and I'll read her books, you know, they're all set in Wisconsin. And I'll think if I set a book in Wisconsin and I talked about a bubbler, I would have called it a water fountain, you know? So I think think it's hard to write about places, um, from an insider perspective that you don't really know, but I would love to write about, you know, a Southerner going to another place for sure. Um, and I love writing about, you know, any place that I can see kind of from an outsider perspective. But I have really realized that I think you can tell when someone writes about a place that they do not intimately
2: know. Yeah, so, I you think you're right. And that's yeah. that what comes through is a your love of the South and that you really do know the South. Yes. Oh,
0: yeah. And, and Southern manners because the dialogue, the characters you create, they just seem of, of the place as well as the beach houses where we want to well, move in.
5: Yes, yes. Well, it does make me laugh because um, there'll be notes from my editor sometimes, like, why doesn't she just come out and say this? And my response will be, because she's a Southern lady and they don't do that. (laughs) 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 Just, you know, very specific. There are very specific things, I think, about, you know, growing up in the South that you pick up on and um, that are kind of interesting, so...
0: Well, one of the reasons your, your books have such a sense of place is like, that is your other career. You have a whole nother life. With your mom, you created Design Chic, which is like a top design blog. It's, you're in the Design Blogger Hall of Fame, Christy. Congratulations. <laughs> First of all, um, right. sponsored by Traditional Home, <laughs> one of our favorite magazines. Isn't it, Joel? Yes. We love Traditional I, Home. I know.
2: I, we, weren't we scheming at one point to see if Traditional Homes would redo my house. Yes, we, we they were. Did, they did we, not there was there was no uptake on that. We did but, that
0: pitch. Yeah. I wish they would
2: do mine too. That was yeah. fantastic.
5: But okay. how
0: did that start with your mom? I mean, it's such a great We were just on it looking at a a home in Julie's neighborhood. You have a house tour of a <laughs> <laughs> house in Julie's neighborhood in, in Dallas. Dallas.
4: Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, it started
5: as a lot of good things do, just um, kind of by accident, (laughs) I think. Um, So about, gosh, like 11 years ago, it blows my mind we've been doing it 11 years, but um, we were both redoing houses at the time. And um, I was just getting, I was actually working in finance and I missed writing and I was trying to kind of get back into writing in some ways. And I was doing some freelance stuff. And my mom called me one day and told me that she wanted to learn something new, which I just found hilarious. She was like, yeah, I just, I feel like I need like a new skill. I feel like I'm like, you know, I want to like challenge my brain. I was like, oh gosh. Okay. Um, And so then she (laughs) Uh said, then she said, as you know, what, what comes next. So what are we going to do? I was like, oh, uh okay. So I'm going to challenge my brain too. And I said, you know what? I have been doing some freelance pieces for these blogs and they're like kind of this thing, like we should start a blog. And she said, that sounds perfect. What's a blog?
0: Yeah. It's great. It's great.
2: <laughs> um, so I think we've all been there. We all yes. have. Course, What's a podcast. Right? Sure. Right. Yeah. Right. Sure. Y'all start a podcast. Find the yeah. world's a podcast. Mm-hmm.
5: But so we started the blog and we thought, you know, we would do it for like six months or something. When we were finished redoing these houses, we would be done with it. And, you know, I think what it really boils down to is the fact that we hit it at a really great time. I mean, 11 years ago, blogs were a big thing, but every person on the planet didn't have one. Right. Uh, Probably (laughs) kind of like you guys. I mean, you know, you, you've, I mean, not to set aside your amazing talent because (laughs) it is because you are amazingly talented, but I do think sometimes, you know, when you can hit things at the right time, it keeps you going. It keeps you motivated. Yes. Yeah. Uh, And so we were growing fairly quickly. And so after six months, we thought, well, gosh we have like people reading this now and like we know them I mean we can't just stop now and so we kept being like all right well, we'll reassess next year we'll reassess next year we'll reassess next year and um here we are 11 reassessments later and and we're still doing it so it's been it's been a lot of fun we've learned a lot um it's you know it's definitely evolved over time um Things have changed. The internet's changed. The world has changed and it will continue to. So, you know, we're, we're, we're hanging in there as long as we can. And we're still really enjoying it.
0: You know, people ask us all the time, what is it like to work with your real sisters? So, mm-hmm. and, and we, we have a, a, a standard answer um, that we, we, you know, if we all worked in the same place, we would kill each other, but we <laughs> don't, that's the whole beauty of satellite sisters. But what's it like to work with your mom?
5: Um, so it's really amazing. And the, this is not my, this is my true answer. This is not my like answer. I really do. I really do mean this because if I was going to tell anyone like, oh, it's awful. I would tell you guys, but it's not, it's really great. And the reason I say that is because she is so intimately aware of my schedule. So like, she's already thinking about the fact like, okay, Christy's going to be on tour for Christmas and peach tree bluff for five weeks in October. We've got to go ahead and get that content ready to go. You know, like she's so aware of like what's going on and she'll know like, okay, you know, I'm on deadline and I'm crazy. And she'll be like, All right, we're not going to schedule any sponsored posts for that week because who knows if Christie's going to show up, you know, I mean, right, she's right. really good about
2: it. She's so, your mom and, and she, she really <laughs> <laughs> supports you and yes. she's <laughs> so proud of your writing
5: yeah. career, right? She's amazing. Mm-hmm. She's amazing. And I do think, you know, the writing and the blog have fed each other really well. Like yeah. I think in the beginning, the blog fed my books and I think now it kind of works the other way as well, which has been really great. So, um, and you know, she's just so great to work with. And if I had done it with anyone else, I would have had to quit a long time ago because there are those peaks and valleys where I just don't have as much time to devote to it. And she picks up so much slack during those times that I don't have as much time. And then, you know, everything's a cycle. And then I'll be really into it. And, you know, be great and really ahead and all that stuff and have all these new ideas and you know that cycle comes too but she's she's amazing she's so great and she's so good at it she has such a good eye um and just is she's so great at working with like all the designers and the photographers and she's so organized and she's all the things I'm not so that's good
0: (laughs) well I mean I think people don 't understand how much work a blog is, a blog right. like yours, where it 's really a hands on thing you 're not pen- this is not someone 's corporate blog it 's the two of you right. and it just chews up content i right. mean that 's what I say to people like. If you go into it, you just have to be ready to really post, 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 or else there's no, there's no there, there, you know, you have to post exactly. a couple times a week. So exactly. yeah, that's yeah. amazing.
5: Well, yeah. and this is going to blow your mind, but um, we post seven days a week <gasps> and have for, um, I think for the last like six years, we've posted seven days a week.
2: Are you like Monday, Tuesday, Friday? And uh, I mean, do you have certain days of the week or it's no, just, again, so- it depends on your schedule?
5: No. So we, we have certain, um, we just have like certain jobs that we do, if that makes sense. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah. (laughs) so, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so it doesn't matter. I mean, we have certain, you know, certain things that we each do like no matter the day. So it's just, just sort of split up that way. But um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. But um, and, and you know, when we started it, the, the internet was the wild, wild west, right? You could take anything you wanted. I mean, you just were out there and you just picked up whatever you wanted. And of course, now it's evolved to, you know, sign permission for every photo and, you know, those types of things. So it's definitely it's a different it's a very different animal than it was 11
2: years ago. Well, I think you and your mom have learned some things in the last 11 years. Yeah, good job.
0: <laughs> um, we will put a link to Christy's blog in the show notes. Uh, you can reach it at mydesignchic.com. The blog is Design Chic. And also, totally worth following Christy on Instagram because just beautiful houses. Like, I, you know, I think Instagram is great for dogs, gardens, and and houses. You know, that's my <laughs> mainly thing. I say
5: follow. yesterday we posted a dog in a house, and that is, we were like, <laughs> why are we doing houses? We should just have a dog Instagram. That's all we should do is dogs because people absolutely lost their minds about the dog. So we were like, okay, dog Instagram, new strategy.
0: (laughs) um, Okay. So before you go, we need to ask though, you mentioned, quote, the Christmas book. I mean, you people, you're just writing your heads off over there at Friends of Fiction. (laughs) So is this your first Christmas book? And how does that happen? I'd like to get on the Christmas book schedule. What happened there? How did that Get on the
5: Christmas book schedule. That (laughs) happened because it was COVID and I forgot myself and lost my mind is what happened. (laughs) Um, No, so December, it was truly December. And, you know, we were starting all the like Christmas holiday season kind of things and of course nothing was happening because it was COVID and we couldn't have parades and we couldn't have tree lightings and I was like just really down in the dumps about it because I love Christmas so much and so I thought you know what I'm gonna write a Christmas book that this is how I'm gonna pull myself out of my Christmas depression is I'm going to write I mean I'm I shouldn't use that term lightly I was fine everything was fine but it was COVID you know so it was crazy. Right, right and so I just said um so I I thought I'm gonna write a Christmas book and I'm gonna write about everything that I wish we were doing right now. And then I was like, well, it has to be a Peachtree Bluff book because I'd had so many, 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 many requests from people over the past few months to write more Peachtree Bluff. And I was like, well, this is perfect. We can go back to Peachtree Bluff. I can get my Christmas fix. And so I literally called my editor in like, it was early December. And I said, what do you think about if I write another Peachtree Bluff book? And she was like, oh my gosh, yes, please write another Peachtree Bluff book. Um, and I said, so let's put it out Christmas 2022. And she said, well, let's put it out Christmas 2021. And I was like, what? I know. Like, how am I going to possibly do that? And she was like, well, you just said you aren't doing anything. So <laughs> Write the book. <laughs> so I did. Um, but I really, it was actually, it was so fun. And it was so easy to write because I would be like, I would get up and I'd be like, Okay. So today, we would be having the flotilla, which is like the boat parade. And I'm like, I'm going to write a scene set at the boat parade. <laughs> but um, no, it was really fun to write. And it's, um, for people who have not read the Peach Street Bluff series, the series is about these three grown sisters and their mother and a big secret from their past that has the potential to reshape what it means for them to be a family. And it's set in this uh, quaint, quirky, beautiful coastal Georgia town that's based on Beaufort, North Carolina, where I actually live. Um, and so that that's the story, but each of the books in the series is uh, Ansley, who is the mother of these daughters, is the protagonist of all three books. And then each daughter had a chance to sort of tell her side of the story in one of the three books. And so in this one, um, Caroline, who's the eldest daughter's daughter is 15 years old, Vivi. And so she okay. kind of sets this story into motion because there's a big hurricane coming toward Peachtree Bluff and Vivi gets herself her grandmother Ansley and her step-grandfather Jack stuck in Peachtree Bluff during the storm of the century. So that's how the story starts. And then of course, the sisters kind of have to figure out how to um, get back to Peachtree Bluff. And then they all sort of have to rebuild just in time for the holidays. So um, there is some plot going on there, but it it was so fun. And it's just, I, I think it's a really feel good story. And you don't have to have read the Peachtree Bluff series to
2: to understand this. You can just jump in at Christmas time. If you like Christmas, (laughs) okay. Yes.
5: If you like Christmas, just jump in, read about the the Christmas trees and smile. (laughs) you
0: know. <laughs> All right. So, because it, it, we talked to Mary Alice uh, in the beginning of this mm-hmm. podcast, and she told us the behind the scenes story of how The Beach House became a Hallmark movie, how she yeah. managed to literally chase down Andy McDonald in an airport. Yes. Like, Force the book on her, and Andy yes. bought the book. So, who are you going to chase down for this Christmas book? <laughs> who? who- okay. Who's, well, who's,
5: I have to tell who do you, you need really, to get in touch with? I have to tell you a really funny story, and I can't tell you everything, but I can tell you this part because this is, like, very fine and out there. Um, so when the last book in the Peachtree Bluff series came out, so this was in, like, 2019, um, a producer at CBS sent an email to someone at Simon & Schuster and said, I want, like, a really fun, like, blue sky happy series and they sent her peach tree bluff and she said, and she says this all the time. And it's so funny. She's like, I picked these up and I was like, Oh, that's like an old lady, like romance series. Great. This is exactly <laughs> what I don't want. And then she started reading it and she really loved it. And as it turned out um, she grew up 30 minutes away from where this book is like, you know, the, the real town that this book is fictionally set in. So, you know, it is. A, and so she ended up optioning the, the, but all the books in the series and
0: oh great so on That's and so good. forth
5: so good. um yeah so it's it's gone really well and I'm hoping we can you know talk about it a little bit more later but
0: okay um, excellent but, <laughs> fantastic
5: yeah but um but I but I just thought what a small world that is like what are the chances right. that of all the books produced by Simon and Schuster in a given year someone would have sent her the Peachtree Bluff series that you know she's living in LA that she would happen to have happened to be from North Carolina and like found out the backstory. So, you know, it's just, it's just a small world. You never know what's going to happen, but I do feel like those things are sort of serendipitous and um, it's just been amazing to meet her and like have this new friend. So no matter what happens, you know, we've had a really good time.
0: Oh, congratulations. That's fun. That is a good story too. That's an excellent story too. So uh, battle of Fantastic stories between you. and Nancy Alice. <laughs> well, Christy, thank you so much for being on Satellite Sisters. What a delight to talk to all three of you today, three of the five uh, friends and fiction women. And we've just so enjoyed getting to know you all over the last year and continued success. We look forward to this oh, Christmas book. Thank, thank you. Christy. Thank
5: you so much for having me. And thank you for all of your help. Y'all have been such an inspiration for us. You've given us so much good advice and We're so appreciative and in awe of what you do. So thank you for letting us be a part of it.
0: Thanks.